up, everybody? This is the first episode from the new studio. I hope you hope you all enjoy it. But we're here sitting in Tragic Hero Records. Shout out my boy Randy, <laughs> setting me up with this awesome studio, man. I'm so excited. I feel like a little kid in a candy store right now. It's like my dreams coming true. But Luke, thank you for coming on, my bro. This is gonna be a good conversation. For sure. I love I love that you're the first guest in the new studio, man, because I know we have great conversations and yeah. I'm excited to to dive into some some topics that are important to us and stuff we talk about on the daily. So before we get into anything though, man, you got some new stuff going on. So let's share with the people what you got going on, brother. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's so cool to be here and it's been fun to watch the evolution of your podcast and it's been very inspiring for me. Um so Trevor and I did a Thoughts from a Balcony podcast probably three or four months ago. And honestly, it was super motivating to me. Uh, I felt inspired. I actually had trouble sleeping that night because of all the thoughts running through my head with what I could possibly do um, in the online realm and possibly even starting a podcast. And I, at that point, didn't have enough confidence confidence to do it. But I talked with Trevor after and he's like, dude, just go for it. You know, start a podcast. So that's four months ago and fast forward to now last night I posted my first episode so I went through the process of getting the mics you know the video set up and uh had one of my really close friends Zach Barther on for the first podcast of anyone extraordinary and you know the name came from a few quotes that I just truly enjoy uh the first one is from coach Myers who was a guy that I had followed on Instagram for a very long time. He's the strength and conditioning coach for Ohio State Wrestling. And I, I don't know if it was his Instagram bio, but I just paint his – when I think of him, this quote comes to mind. And he's all about, like, gut check and mentality. And uh, he says, I'm an ordinary man that gives extraordinary effort. And that's always what I've wanted to be. You know, not, nobody special that's in the limelight, but always gives that extraordinary effort. And then another quote um, that I love is the difference between ordinary and extraordinary is just that little bit extra. So I want to find people that just give that little bit extra in any any facet of their life and try to pull that little bit extra out of them and see what see what I can make of it and see what I can provide to other people. Um, the first person was Zach Barther, who was a great friend of mine, a blue belt in jujitsu. Um, just a really optimal human that really makes me better. And it was a fluid conversation that I greatly enjoyed. And uh, I'm excited. It's on it's on Spotify. It's on Apple. It's on YouTube. It's filmed. Uh, I'm going to get the Instagram going in next week and uh, be posting my favorite clips from it. So thanks to you, first off and foremost, because I wouldn't have been able to do it without friends like you, you know, and you kind of paved the path. You know, you were you were someone that went out of your comfort zone and said, you know, I'm going to start a podcast. I'm going to have these people on and uh, just have some cool conversations. And you kind of made it, you know, you made it possible in my mind to be able to go and do something like that because, you know, all the podcasts that I had listened to were these people that, you know, seemed out of reach, you know, seemed like they were larger than life. And then you're here and you start a podcast and I'm like, I played football. Like, that's one of my mm -hmm. best friends, you know. Yeah. So we could do that too. We could have fun. We could pick each other's brains and we can make each other better through that process. So thanks to you. And it's been fun to watch the the process of 
thoughts from a balcony coming like we're sitting on zoom and now we're sitting in here it's just yeah. it's super cool to to see it evolve over time and uh super excited to be here man thank you for having me yeah dude um man you said a lot of really great stuff there i don't, I don't even know where to start <laughs> but let's start with the fact of you taking that leap and actually creating this podcast and it's called anyone extraordinary correct anyone extraordinary and i love that and um, I think a lot of the purpose behind your podcast is very similar to mine. It matches mm-hmm. up a lot with having extraordinary people on here, and, and you're one of them, where they can tell their story, and although it might not be the same story as someone else, there's going to be overlap. There's going to be challenges. There's going to be experiences where at times they're like, dude, I want to give up. Like, this shit sucks. I want to be done. But you hear that story, and you're like, man, I'm inspired. I can do this. And that's the same thing I did for you is the same thing someone did for me. So shout out Gabe Beaver. I don't even know if he's going to listen to this podcast, but back in, this had to be 2020. So probably four or five months after the pandemic started. And I remember even as the pandemic started, this was about three months after I graduated college. I'm sitting there thinking like, dude, what am I going to do with my life? Like I, I realized that, all right, I got the nice job. I have a girlfriend. It was everything on paper made sense. Like if you looked at my life from the outside in, you're like, what does he have to complain about? He's got everything handed to him, but I lack that sense of purpose. And I lack that sense of giving, giving back to others. I think serving other people is an important purpose that a lot of people share. Mm-hmm. A lot of people share that purpose. And it resonated with me. So I just didn't know what I wanted to do, though. You know, I've always had thoughts and dreams of doing a a podcast or having some type of radio show and and just having my voice be heard and also have had the ability to foster great conversation with other people. Mm -hmm. But I I really didn't know how to get started. Very similar to you. Right. And I think a lot of people listening to this might be saying the same thing as like, I want to do these things, but I have no idea how the fuck to get started. And welcome to the show, man, because that's how everything goes in life. When you first start, you have no idea how to do anything. Yeah. And a cool full circle moment here. So it went Gabe to you, you to me, and I'm at the John Carroll versus Mountain Union basketball game on Wednesday. And I'm walking out. And do you remember Myron Tibbs? He was probably a freshman while you were the name sounds familiar. So he he was, he was a teammate of mine. I don't think he was on any of your teams. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm walking out, and I see him. I love this kid. And I'm like, yo, Myron, what's up? And I catch him at the last second. He's like, I'm like, hey, what are you doing? You know, what are you thinking about doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, post-grad and all this stuff. He's like, man, I'm just trying to get my podcast going. I'm like, oh, well, guess what? Mine's dropping tomorrow. I was like, let's get coffee next week. I can teach you everything. I just oh, went through yeah. la- the last three months of literally nice. trying to figure out the ins and outs. So it's funny how, like, you just kind of run into those people, yeah. the right people at the right time. When uh, you just have that little spark of inspiration and what it can grow into. Absolutely. And I think it's always the right time. Whatever the moment is, is the right time. Like us meeting at John Carroll, you came in as, I think you were a freshman when I was a junior. This all led up to this point. Right. You know what I mean? Like to (laughs) you starting a podcast and like if we never met each other, maybe that spark would have never been lit. But anyways, I'll go back to my story. So it's about four or five months after the pandemic. And Cal, so Cal Reynolds, a mutual friend of both of us, going to be my best man at my wedding. So yeah. great dude. 
but he did a podcast with uh, Gabe Beaver and his brother Sam, and they had this awesome podcast called The Bridge. Have a lot of really great guests on it. Make sure to go check that out. But they brought me on, and we did it over Zoom, and it was like one of the most exhilarating conversations I've had with somebody, and it just gave me so much inspiration to just go for it. Like I, I started to realize everything that was holding me back was just outside perception. And it was not me going like, oh, I, I can't do this. I don't have the skills or whatever. It was like, oh, I wonder what people are going to think if I start this podcast. Like, are people going to talk down to me? And I think that was a hard thing to overcome because as human beings, we care so much about social acceptance. We want to be accepted by our, our peer group and everything. And especially with social media, that peer group is so inflated now. And I think that was something that changed in my mind when I started the podcast is, oh, my, my close circle gives a fuck about me and actually cares and gives me support when I'm trying to do something new. Right. Like when I started that podcast, people were excited, man. Like they were like, oh, dude, this is awesome. So cool. Can't, can't wait to hear it. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, over the past 20, 20 or so episodes now, I've gotten so much great feedback and that's not what it's about, but at the same time, I am trying to help other people and serve other, other human beings and give value. So it's good to hear that despite all that bad stuff that might be happening, that's not what you should do it for, bro. Like you should do it. If you have that internal fire, whatever that is, whether that's making music, making a podcast, you got to go for it because this existence, you know, whether you believe in an afterlife or not, this existence is the only one we know for sure we have. Mm -hmm. And we also have no idea when that end date is going to happen. Right. There's, there's this little foggy scoreboard and, and foggy timeline of like, okay, you might die in, in 50 years. Shit, you might die tomorrow. You don't know that. So you need to take today to chase whatever it is that brings you that fire, that brings you that passion. And dude, I love that you're doing the podcasting stuff. And I love that, that we're interested in similar things. So I love that. But if you were doing something completely different, you know, opposite, but it brought you fire and it brought you purpose, I would have the exact same reaction because that's what I want to see in all my friends, dude. I want to see all of them just chasing whatever it is they want to do because his life's too short to just, oh, I'm going to work a nine to five and whatever it is what it is. I could have done that, but oh, I'm not going to choose to. Right. This is lame, you know, and, and I love that we both have this fire to just go for it, dude. And despite the social acceptance aspect of it, we're still going to go for it because that's what we want to do with our lives. And, and we're going to live our life the way we want, dude. That's yeah. how it goes. Right. And it and it's just going to turn into something, you know, and we always talk about it. It's not about the views or anything like that. At the end of the day, we walk out of this room and this this podcast is posted there's already two lives that have been changed from this conversation. Exactly. Me and you. So that's enough. You know, whether it's one person after that, that's just an added bonus, you know. And I and I hope that somebody can resonate with what you just said. Um, and I struggled with that. I did. That was the main reason why I was so hesitant. Um, there's this book, and I've, I've never read it. I listened to the author's uh, – he was on – the author was on Joe Rogan's podcast. And – he was taught the book is called The War of Art. The War of Art. I know the author. So the author is Stephen Pressfield. Ste Stephen Pressfield. And he was talking about resistance 
that's what the whole entire book is about resistance to things that are new resistance to your inner creativity and that really resonated with me and that was kind of the first thing so that podcast happened with you you lit the you lit the spark and then i listened to that podcast and i'm like all right it's going to be a little bit of a battle within to do to figure this out why i'm so resistant to go and you know sit in front of a mic have a guest on start a podcast what's the name going to be just a lot of external factors Mm -hmm. that i was kind of overwhelmed by um i ended up meeting with somebody who has a successful podcast and he's like what's holding you back i said well i you know i don't want to be the person preaching i don't think i'm interesting and he goes that's that's you're you're definitely interesting everybody's interesting in their own way but that's not the point of a podcast you know you don't have to be interesting you have to be interested and that was the click like okay i'm interested that's the name of my podcast you know like anyone extraordinary i want to find the guy that uh i'm sitting in this this random guy that i'm sitting in the sauna with that is you know 65 years old and has been through a lot and he's talking to me and i can feel that he has just been through a lot and uh is is giving me life advice in the sauna i want to be able to be like hey i find you to be extraordinary would you be willing to sit down and have a conversation with me and we can, we can record this? Mm -hmm. So you just impacted my life. And I know that if I'm able to put a little bit of that into the world, I know that more people can be impacted by it. And I'm just, I'm super interested. I'm interested to learn more. I think that's why I continue reading after college. I'm, I'm interested to meet new people. I'm excited to see how this network can expand. Like I've seen the people that you've been able to meet through this and it's like, dude, life's too short not to try, you know, nobody's too big, you know, they're just people and we're just people having conversations and we just happen to be in an grow up in an age where we can record it and, you know, post it online. And hopefully it's a really simple thing. We're just recording conversations. And I, I, for some reason it brings us so much more, you know, there's so much more to, a podcast because you want to dive deep you know you want to extract that information mm-hmm. you want to get deeper into that person so I, I love it and i'm excited man i really am it does like you said set your heart on fire yeah i love that dude and i i can't wait to see how your podcast evolves i know it's going to be great i've already seen his setup guys i mean it's it's a great setup um i'm excited to listen to the, to the barther one and going back to just having conversations i think that's why podcasts resonate so much with people. They can just sit and listen to a podcast for three hours because they feel like they're in the room with another person. And I don't know about you, but I'm the type of person, like, I don't care about going to the club and listening to loud music and barely being able to talk to people. Like, the way I like to hang out with my friends is we're all sitting down. We're hanging out, maybe smoking a little J. Hey, you know, something, something <laughs> comes up. That's why I that's why I call this thoughts from a balcony and and shout out Mac Miller. You know, R.I.P. I love that song, but at the same time, I envisioned these conversations like we're just chilling on a balcony, man. It's we're on vacation. It's you know eight o'clock at night. The sun is down. We're just chilling, having a great time. And those are the best conversations that you get. Is is you're sitting down, not even thinking about it. It's just flowing. And that's what I wanted to do. Cause I've always felt in those moments, I feel so changed and I feel like I lose track of time. I gain so much insight from other people. 
And I just kept thinking to myself, like, why not record this? Why not be able to have a channel and some type of opportunity where I can get together with other people and have those really insightful conversations like we're doing right now? And I remember that first podcast we did when I was giving you support and you were talking about kind of what you wanted to do. And I remember just thinking in my head and I said, it, I was like, dude, just do it. Like, yeah. <laughs> you just got to do it, man. And I could see it in your eyes. Although it was over Zoom, I could see it like something just lit in your in your in your belly. It was like, oh, yeah, you're right. Like I could I could do this. And I think sometimes that's all people need is just a little bit of support, because like going back to my original thought is. So often we damper who we are as human beings to appease other people. You know, we might not wear a certain article of clothing because we're scared of getting clowned or we might not put something on social media. That was something I've heard so often. Like people come up to me and it's like, oh, I could never post on social media. Why? Like why? If you think you can provide value with this, listen, social media is a beast. It's a tool at the same time because it can be taken to an extent where it's really bad and negative or it can be used for good and provide a lot of value like you know, the things that we follow, we follow these trainers, all this information. I've gained so much information over the past year on Instagram by just changing my following. Mm -hmm. It's a great tool. But going back to my original thoughts, like, why would you not take this opportunity to actually provide value to other people? We've never had this ever. No, never. This social media landscape of everyone has a voice Everyone has an opportunity to really provide something that is theirs. But some people are just too scared to do it. And I, I encourage you, if you are that person who is scared, really like what what Luke said is think to yourself, why am I scared? What is the what's holding me back? Because if you can't answer that question with a solid answer, and I guarantee you're not going to come up with a solid answer. You need to go through with it. You need to go through with it. Mm -hmm. But anyways, Luke, um, your podcast, brother, I'm super excited for it. I can't wait for, for the future guests. Um, I hope I get to come on someday too. I, sure. <laughs> I really like that share setup you got going on in, yeah. <laughs> in your living room. I'm, I'm excited for that, brother. Um, but yeah, I'm so happy to see what you're doing and on Instagram too. Another thing that, that Luke has been doing is posting a lot of kettlebell flow workouts and just workouts in general, and I've been loving it, man. It, you honestly inspired me to change my training routine and doing a lot of kettlebell stuff, and I felt a lot of benefits from it. Um, I used to be one of those people who is all about bodybuilding, and I started getting to a point where my body was just breaking down, and I wasn't feeling good. I was having some lower back issues and it would seem like every couple months, like I'm hurting myself and doing something wrong. And I started really looking internally in my training, like, is this what I want to do? Like, do I really want to feel like this? And you, Barther, started posting a lot of kettlebell stuff. And it's weird. Like, you know, you see online, you might see a kettlebell workout, but when you see someone, you know, doing it, you're like, oh, oh, I can, I can do this. Like going back to your comment about the podcast, like, mm -hmm. oh, he does one, I can do one too. But it's the same thing with, with working out, man. Like, I want to ask you what got you into kettlebells and 
Because I know you, you, mean, you used to train like a football player, man. Yeah, all my life I tra- train like a football player. And yeah. especially, you know, I, I loved football training. Uh, I had a great strength and conditioning coach in high school. And it was the same, you know, block workouts where you're doing the typical squat, bench, deadlift, a little bit of cleans in high school. Um, but just all those compound movements with a lot of weight, like throughout the summer, just more and more and more weight, chase those maxes, you know, 400 pound club, who's going to bench 315, mm-hmm. just chase it. And that's fun. You know, that's a lot of fun, especially in that football environment. That's what you got to do. And that's what it's just, you know, it's all about competition at that point with your, with your, with your guys. Uh, same thing through college. We had a great trainer, um, but a lot of heavy lifting and that's a lot on the joints, you know, uh, people can have their own opinion on what's the right thing to do. Everybody has their own philosophy and, uh, I don't think it's a one size fits all, Mm -hmm. but afterwards I found myself, you know, looking to stay in shape and figure out my path. And I started running, I started doing yoga I kept on lifting, but I was like, the lifting thing just, it just killed me, man. Like, I was like, yeah, I I like showing up for runs. I like showing up for yoga. Lifting, I just got it. Like, I feel like I just got to do it. Like, I'm just getting through it. And after college, I think I really started to look at everything in my life very practically. Okay, so like, why, why do I do that? You know, like, even down to something like, why do I grocery shop on Sundays? Why do I treat Sunday like a reset day? Really practically, now I, I move my grocery shop into Monday. You know, I treat my Sunday like it's another day of the week, and I'm working 40, 40 hours in the week. I don't have that much time during the week after I'm done working and training. I'm going to treat those two days like a, a full weekend and do mm-hmm. really anything that I want. Um, so just looking at everything in my life very practically, and the way that relates to working out is like, all right, well, what am I training for? What am I training for? Why am I in the weight room? Well, I'm I'm training for life. Well, what does that mean? I'm training to feel good. Well, none of these workouts are making me feel good. And I remembered I read a book called Own the Day, Own Your Life by Aubrey Marcus, who was the co-founder of On It, which is a, he was the co-founder with Joe Rogan um, of On It, which is a supplement brand. And they always had these cool kettlebell and steel mace workouts. And I kind of always followed that. He talked about it in the book, but it was just never the right time with me for football training. So I'm like, you know what? I'll give these a try. And started, found a couple guys online, uh, like the crazy trainer. I that, love him. Yeah, yeah, the crazy trainer is unbelievable. He just, you know, f- somehow finds a new flow every single day. And that's the whole thing that was so much fun for me. So um, Zach was always big on it. And then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to start doing it, you know. So I, I bought a couple kettlebells and just started swinging them around. Like in the summer, Zach and I would go to the park we would swing these things around for like an hour and our, the way we work out, is just like you pick a workout. We do three, four five sets. Then mm-hmm. I pick a workout, you know, and then we'll jump in the water and cool plunge after. So that's how I kind of got into it. And now I've created like, uh, my Instagram to be, it's basically just people doing kettlebell stuff. So I'll take some stuff from that, but I'm also like, I want to be creative and do my own mm-hmm. thing and find my own flows. And what I've found through kettlebell training is that, your whole entire body learns how to work as one. And it's truly like, what did I say? I said, I want to train for life and I want to feel good. Well, I do these full body workouts. I'm training for life. Everything is offset. So like Zach said on my podcast, like if you have to pick up a couch, you, it's going to be completely off balance. Well, you're, you focus on things like that during kettlebell training. You're always out of whack, which, mean you're, which means your body is always reacting. 
mm-hmm. and getting strong in those awkward planes of motion, which is where you get hurt when something happens or doesn't go exactly as planned, which is, you know, even weight such as a squat, even weight such as a bench, even weight such as dumbbells, and all the way down to just your grip strength, you know, like something that if you have to ever defend yourself, you need to be able to grab someone and take control of them, you know? So it's really that thing that everything aligns in terms of training for life. And above all that, I enjoy it. I don't have to think much about getting on my mat and throwing away or throwing around some kettlebells or going to the park and throwing around some kettlebells because I truly enjoy it. And I'm not walking around having a hard time sitting on the toilet because I'm so, I'm so, you know, hurt from squatting the day before. Yeah. You know, I've spent too many of those days of doing five by 10 on squat and you can't even, can't even go and do a yoga session the next day because your legs are so shot. Mm-hmm. I'm training for life. I don't want to, I don't want to feel that way. So that was the realization that I had and I haven't looked back since. And I, and I, re- I was listening to the podcast that we did four months ago. And that was kind of like the early stages. I was like, I was bought in, but I was probably like two months in and I, I could hear the confidence of my voice. I was like, and it's not stopping anytime soon. Like this is how I'm going to train for a long time to come. Mm-hmm. You know, you just have that feeling when you truly love something. And, uh, that's the whole purpose of my Instagram is like, I think people, uh, are just so just go to the gym because you have to, if you could rewire that framework in your mind, and it, it probably doesn't seem possible for a lot of people, but it is to find a way of training that is truly enjoyable and makes you feel good. That's the goal. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the goal. Movement's so important. If you can have fun doing it, I think that's that's truly the goal. Yeah. I love what you said about intention and kind of looking at everything in your life is being practical mm-hmm. because I don't think an I, I honestly, you know, could, I think doing that on a continuous basis is a smart thing to do, but a lot of people don't do that. And especially with training in particular, you know, you think of the big six and as a trainer, you know, everyone's an individual, everyone has their different things that they like to do and uh, different things that react well with their body. But in my head, it was always like the big six. So you got deadlift, uh, push press, clean, squats, bench, and I don't know if I think row, bent over row. Yeah, barbell bent over row. So that's it. Like, that's all you need to do and do some variations of that. That's perfect. And I was doing that for so long. And you're right. Like, it gets to a point where you're like, oh, I got to hit chest and tries today. Or I got to do this today. And don't get me wrong, I still do a lot of the bodybuilding stuff, but I also train how I want to train now. Because when you have a sport or you have something external to train for, that really structures how you should be training, right? Like we did a very set structure when we were playing football. We had to be big, strong, and fast. And that's how we train. We tried to get big as hell, lifting a lot of weight, and that's how you have to do it. And I understand that. But like you said, we're training for life now. So going back to looking at what's practical, if you're training for life, being sore all the time is not practical. Getting to a point, because what you're doing with bodybuilding, you're breaking down a lot of those tissues to help them grow. But if you're constantly just breaking them down, you're not eating enough food, 
now you're just stuck in this cycle of just beating up your body and breaking down. And then you're like, well, this is the only way I know how to train. This is the only way that should be done. A lot of people have that ego with it too. And they're just stuck in this cycle of unhealthiness. So looking back on, all right, I'm training for life. What do I want in my life? And for me, I had to stop and look in the mirror and go, how do I want to move? Like, how do I want my body to move on the daily? And you have to be realistic with yourself. Like I have an Achilles tear. I've had some knee issues, shoulder issues. I mean, my body's kind of a wreck, but I can train a specific way to help my body heal, to feel better, to promote joint and tissue health. And that's why I've gotten so into mobility training and kettlebells too for that is how can I move my body how it's supposed to move? Because if you're just always in this these rigid movement patterns and you're constantly just doing the same thing over and over and over again, you start to see diminishing returns, you know, and, and once you start to see that, that's when you got to look in the mirror and be like, all right, I got to, I got to switch it up. And kettlebells, dude, they're so fun. Like there's nothing else exercise wise that you can kind of create on your own flow with. I have been playing around with landmines mm-hmm. lately. Same Actually, way. I just talked to Zach Barther about that too. Uh, I think he's coming up end of February or something like that. Mm-hmm. So we should do something like that. I've been playing around with a lot of uh, landmine movements, but yeah, dude, you're so right. Is is the kettlebells allow you to do these things that like you can just flow, man. You're not even counting reps. You're just like going through the motions and moving your body mm-hmm. in unison, which you don't get to train a lot, but that's kind of how life is. So, um, yeah, man, I appreciate you for bringing that into my, into my training routine. Cause I'm getting more acclimated with it and starting to love it more and more. I think, I think a lot of people, if they just tried it, um, would, would truly enjoy it. And I, I said this on my podcast that I did with Zach, I have a hundred percent success rate with people that do it. Like I, I've showed it to my girlfriend. She loves it. You know, her mom, she loves it. Um, a couple guys that I went to school with and, and are trying to get back into training. They love it. Like it's, it's just something that everyone, you know, and there's no ego attached to it. It's not about the weight, mm-hmm. you know, it's about finding flow and finding fun within the movement. And another thing that I want to point out, I forgot to point out, point out is it really allows you to strengthen the end range of motion, which is when shoulder tears happen. And we did those cars in college, controlled mm-hmm. articulate rotations with the shoulder and the hips. Well, what's that doing is building this strength at the end range of motion. So when it gets to the end range, your shoulder isn't tearing. Well, you you find in a lot of movements uh, that you're having to have stability with that kettlebell, whether you're holding it overhead, doing a halo with it, sitting in a deep side lunge. You know, you're working these end ranges of motion which is making your joints bulletproof at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. You know, you're doing basically cars with weight. Um, and that's why I found like my joint pain hasn't gone away. My joints feel healthy. Um, I can really like hold anything over my head in terms of a kettlebell, um, doing heavy Turkish get-ups and things like that. Super fun. And that's that's the challenge that I enjoy nowadays. It's like, mm-hmm. Where can I find that balance of weight training and also just optimizing joint health, mobility? And I'm still trying to figure it out, but it's it's a fun journey because I know everything that I am doing is just making my body such a healthier 
unit to go and do whatever kind of dance or play I, I have in mind. Yeah. Yeah, dude, that's what it's all about, right? Is is figuring out things that allow you to be you. And on your point about enrage emotion, when you continuously train like that, you start to see those ranges develop further and yeah. further. And you're like, oh, dude, I can go f- further with my shoulder joint. I, my hips are looser. And you start to recognize all these things in your body and start to see it change over time. It's really cool, man. And, and it makes you feel like, oh, wow, there is there is promise in, in exercising. Because I think a lot of people get out of exercising due to injury and due to just feeling like shit, mm-hmm. soreness and a lot of people have that in their head. Like if I'm not feeling sore or if I'm not beating the shit out of myself, then I didn't get a good workout in. Mm-hmm. But if you're not feeling better after a workout, like that's the goal, man. You're supposed to be getting, you're supposed to work out to get better, to improve your health, not to make it worse. <laughs> you know, like it's, it's a simple, it's a simple concept, but uh, the way the fitness space is now, look at everything on social media, dude. It's, that black and white photo with words over top of some motivational speech. And it's just like panning from them getting up and eating food and then going to the gym. And it's like the same thing over and over and over again, dude, it's pushed into our throats. Like you need to work out this way. This is fitness. You should care all about these pre-workouts and your whey protein and all that stuff. But there's so many other avenues there's so many ways to skin a cat, bro. And you need to find that way because if you just go down this path because, oh, this is what social media tells me to do or this is the only avenue, I'm telling you there's not. Feel free to explore, man. That's the best part about fitness is exploring new ways to move, using kettlebells, using mace bells, using the landmine. Dude, there's so much stuff. You can do battle ropes, the sled. There's so many of these things that you can do, even body weight stuff, man. Oh my God, yeah. There's just so much, man. And our body is this insane unit. And to just box it in to these barbell movements, I think it's doing it a disservice. I'm not saying they don't have a place in training because they, they still have a big place in my training. I still care a lot about having muscle and, and being a little bit bigger. So that's the way I like to train, but also have the awareness to say, I can't do this six days a week. I might, maybe I need to break this down to two, three days a week. And then the other three days I'm doing kettlebell workouts. I'm doing mobility training. I'm doing these things to work on joint health. So I can be 50 years old and still do the things I love to do. You know, if you just keep beating yourself up because I just need to grind, I need to grind, I need to get better, blah, blah, blah. Dude, that's not sustainable. And you got to think longevity with this fitness stuff because that's what it's for. That's the whole purpose of being fit and exercising. Fit for life. Yeah, I think it's I think it's what I've been focusing on a lot more is like how do I want to move when I'm 40, 50, 60? Like I don't want to burn the candle uh, too young and not be able to do anything later on. Like I get I get the heebie-jeebies when I see someone that like is in a walker or can't walk because I know how much joy it brings me and I know I feel lost when I can't do it so like if that's taken from me I don't know where I'd be at like people that are close to me know like if I fall out of my routine or I'm not able maybe I get sick or something like 
I'm not, I'm not a fun person to be around, you know, like I'm just, I'm just not myself. Um, so I hope that there's never a day where I can't go out and go on a hike, you know, go rock climbing, do something that I enjoy, uh, while moving my body. So I'm, I think a little bit is motivated by fear of, of one day, not, you know, tearing my hip because it's just not strong enough when I slip on the ice. Um, and things like that, I just, I really want to be fit, fit for life. And that's what I focus on is longevity training, you know, and that's what works for me. And I'm super motivated to, to just live a healthy life. And that's what keeps me going. Nice, man. You know what else I've noticed with you? You have this crazy family that is also into fitness (laughs) and you've been doing a lot of videos with your brothers and doing that kettlebell stuff, man. I fucking love it. It's so cool. But I do want you to talk a little bit about your family dynamic. Mm-hmm. Who's the catalyst in your family? Like, who's the the guy? I know your dad is a big workout guy, mm-hmm. but who who is that catalyst for you guys to really take health and exercise seriously? It's definitely my parents. It comes from the top down. Um, it was funny. Yeah, we were all we were all played middle linebacker in in high school. Um, <laughs> Some of us played tight end and some of us played running back, but we all played middle linebacker. So we were like a bigger family that always competed. So like we had a little weight room in the basement of our old house and we would just always be down there lifting weights, doing stuff, push up competitions. We're just always pushing each other. Um, but I think what, and, and this is a very important lesson that like I'm now realizing is, you know, you asked about the catalyst. I think it's just my dad's a very soft-spoken guy. He was a golfer in college, was never a football player or anything Mm -hmm. like that. Um, And he just gets up every morning and he does something. You know, he moves his body, he journals and stuff like that, never really talks about it. Uh, So I think we all just kind of took note like, all right, well, he's got it figured out. We're going to kind of emulate what he does. Um, And, yeah, you ask about the competitive nature of my brothers and I, it's always like – you know, we're not constantly in communication anymore, but we always know that somebody is out there doing something. Mm-hmm. And that's always in the back of our head because that's how we were wired bringing up. Um, like last summer, my brother, my older brother, Jack, he's a year older than me. He ran the Denver Marathon and he won the Denver Marathon out of 350 people. Um, he was number one. Really? He was, he was number one. That's awesome. I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Uh-huh. He won it. And it was the most humid day of the year in Denver. It was through the mountains. He ran like 325 or something. Half the people didn't finish because it was just such a tough race. And that's, I mean, he's he's probably the toughest guy I know. Um, then the next weekend or two weekends later, so my parents went out there for that. The next weekend or two weekends later, my brother David obviously was like, I don't like how that, I don't like that feeling. He signs up for Hell on the Hill, which was a 50K. So 32 miles. He just had to one up him a little bit. Went out and finished the 50K. He was in like, I don't know, third place. There weren't that many people in it. Um, and then the weekend after that, I ran my triathlon. So like, that's just the dynamic of our family. And like just yesterday, my brother sent me a a screenshot. It was like signed up for the Denver marathon again. And I was like, yeah, I gotta, you know, I'm, I'm going to sign up for something, (laughs) you know? So that's, that's kind of what we do. And that's, um, that's the dynamic of it. Like sometimes I hate it. I'm like, what am I out here running (laughs) these miles for? But, um, it, it brings me a lot of joy, and I just think you grow up with three three athletic brothers, and 
constantly doing things starting from you know capture the flag as a little kid uh you know playing roller hockey in the in the neighborhood like that's that's a part of our dna like you can you can never take that away from us because during those more those most transformative years that's all we were ever doing was competing with each other Mm -hmm. i remember having bench press competitions in our basement and different things like that like it's just always been competitive and that wasn't that wasn't something that like we needed to do that was just what naturally came out of us as males that were trying to be uh the best possible at what we were doing so it's i i've learned now uh that it was a very interesting dynamic to grow up with you know you were you were an only child Mm -hmm. and uh i guess it's just so normal to me and i guess that's why people look at me and they're like you got a couple screws loose (laughs) (laughs) but uh that's i guess that's what it comes from yeah no i think you have to have a couple of screws just to be interesting, you know? You can't, yeah. you can't you can't be a normal guy and not go through anything and be like, oh, yeah, I want to hang out with this guy. Like, you need to have a little couple of screws loose <laughs> just for me to hang out with you. Um, <clears throat> no, man, I love you, brothers. They're super cool. Um, going up to Pittsburgh and meeting your family, uh-huh. going to your brother's football game, man, that was a great experience. We had a great time, ate a lot of good food. I got food poisoning, but (laughs) other than that, it was, it was awesome. But I could tell like your brother who was playing for Duquesne, uh, first time I saw him play and to be fair, he got his ass kicked. Like Uh he was going up a a big dude and the guy just got him, you know, it was a special teams running down, but I could still like every single time he's still going out there. He's jawing with the guy. He's still, you know, he's getting pancake, but it's like he's still making the fullest effort. And like you talk about going that little extra, I could see that's what your brother does. And his story is insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, going from so many injuries to finally being able to play in college, like that just show, shows the true testament of how you guys grew up and that competition that you had because that that whole time where he's going through those injuries he could have easily packed it up mm-hmm. he could have easily said yo i'm done i'm good but maybe he he was in his head going yo luke just played 4 years yo my brother just run ran the denver marathon <laughs> yo my other brother just ran a 50k i can get through this i can i yo i got to put my, my mind to it whatever however i'm going to do i'm going to get it done and he did it you know he got to play his his first college year and that dude that says something too to be able to start on special teams d1 double a your first year in you know that's that's something special especially coming off of what he did but um yeah man his first snap since high school was against florida state yeah which crazy. is absurd like three years off football crazy amount of injuries and then his first snap was in tallahassee at florida state in a packed in a packed stadium <laughs> Pretty crazy. Talk about pressure, man. Wow. Yeah. I don't think we saw any of that playing at John Carroll. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. But, dude, tell me about his story. Because I remember hearing that at dinner the other, well, you know, back in November when he went to Pittsburgh and just being like, bro, you got it. Like, that's someone you need to have on your podcast. Yeah, for sure. Because that story is, it's one you see in Sports Center. You know what I mean? Like, one of those type of stories yeah. where. It, you you look at it when he was going through it. You're like, dude, there's no way. Like, yeah. There's no way you're gonna play. Yeah. The next thing you know, he's starting against Florida State. Right. 
Yeah, there's there's honestly so much to the story that I'm gonna miss a lot of parts because there were so many different doctor visits and diagnoses that came with it. Uh, I guess it started his senior year. He was just always riddled with injury. Like I remember my <laughs> my junior year, yeah, my my senior year. He was a he was a sophomore on special teams. Ran down on kickoff first play of the year, and he dislocated his shoulder. It was a weird injury though because his shoulder dislocated through the front so his arm was like this and i remember going in at halftime and they still couldn't get it back in its socket like he was screaming on the table at half that was the first play of the game at halftime they still hadn't got his shoulder back in place because it was so dislodged um fast forward to senior year he had a groin injury um and got it fixed after the season tried to return for the basketball playoffs when he was cleared and retort so that was kind of the the, the start of these injuries that, you know, came over top of him for a while to come. And honestly, that might have been a blessing in disguise because that then he committed to Duquesne and he had to kind of sit out that first thing, but it, that first year because of this injury, but he thought that he might be able to come back. Did he have any other colleges that he was thinking about or was it Duquesne number one? Yeah, he was getting, he was on a big time, like he was a big time recruit. I want to say that was it Florida? No, it was Virginia Tech. Like, Virginia Tech had him up. Um, Pitt was big on him. Uh, nobody ended up offering him. It's a, it's a, it's it's tough. But uh, Duquesne was, had given him a good offer, probably the best offer he was going to get. And he decided to go there. Um, so, other than that, he's always excelled as an athlete. But I don't, I think his injuries really hurt him. I think he could have been a Division One player, no doubt in my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those injuries and you just don't have the film and we don't come from a good high school. It's really hard to get looks. Um, so anyways, uh, his freshman year, they found he, he gets, he starts to get cleared. He's like about to get cleared and his knee starts swelling up. He's like, what is happening? He had worked so hard to get back and they took him to the doctor cause he literally couldn't walk. And they're like, there's a slight tear in your MCL. It shouldn't be causing this much damage, but we can just go and repair it, and uh, you, you should be good. Like, the inflammation will go down. Well, they did that. He rehabbed six weeks. Um, none of the inflammation was gone. So, you know, they start going, like, what, what is going on? They see a couple different doctors. Well, seven, eight, nine, then doctors later, they're like, this might be Lyme's disease. Somehow, some way they figured that out. And it was honestly a sigh of relief to get a diagnosis at that point. And it was Lyme's disease that had lodged in his knee and was really creating a lot of pain and uh, a lot of inflammation that made it hard to even like have uh, a trajectory for when he could get back on the field. Um, so this went on for three years, the first three years of his, his college experience. And I remember this past summer, I mean, the kid just, he works so hard. Like I remember, I just said, my brother's the toughest guy. Like they're all the toughest guys I know, <laughs> yeah. in different, in different ways. Yeah. Um, just cause you know, I say that and it's obviously biased. Like, you know, I've just seen them go through everything. How could I, you know, I grew up with them. I've seen them go through all these different things. How could I not think that they're the toughest guys? Like I don't have that firsthand experience with anybody else. Mm-hmm. So, um, he's about, so this is junior year, three years later, he's just riddled with injury, has never stepped on the field, um, sticks with it. He attends every single workout in the mornings, even if he's sitting on the sideline, um, gains the coach's respect that way. And they wanted to keep him on the team. Uh, so 
he's coming into camp this year and he's literally he said the night before his knee was still swollen but he had got cleared he was worried about not getting cleared by the team doctor which he didn't that day of camp and he was just like it's like one thing after another for the last three years somehow some way he finally gets cleared and uh he had a really good camp um was a special teams guy this year and the the last game did actually the game that you were at week eight he tore his he tore his elbow (laughs) no kidding yeah he tore his ucl and i just talked to him yesterday said it's almost fully recovered so he's gone back for another year and yeah you're like i think it's that thing you just lead by example you know he went through so much and i i sometimes say that i think my college career was a little bit too there weren't enough rocky roads like i came in i got playing time almost right away like i, I had to conquer a lot of things but yeah i didn't have you know that like like i didn't get socked in the face at any point in time you know mm-hmm. i had one concussion i i missed one game um never missed a practice due to any injuries or things like that um but yeah he had just been through it and he just he has no quitting him i i literally brought it up to him two years in i'm like hey I did the I did the college football thing. It's awesome. It's awesome. But I don't know if it's worth everything that you're going through. Mm-hmm. And he said, "I'm I'm I'm gonna get back on the field. Like I have this vision. I'm getting back." It was like, it was a bulletproof vision that is so inspiring because he he had been through so much. And yeah, definitely definitely have to have him on the podcast because there's there's so much more to it that I can't even think of. That you know, doctors visit that I'm just at school and like mm-hmm. I don't understand and yeah. It's, it's it's such an inspiring story and it's made him into the man he is today like he was a kid that was always in trouble in high school made a lot of bad decisions as we, as we all did but he was like you know the youngest brother is it's a tough situation you got um a lot of different emotions come with that and he was definitely maybe looked at as the problem child but uh <laughs> but now he's the straightest one out of all of us like this this these trials and tribulations really made him into the man he is today, which uh, I'm super proud of him. Yeah, that's awesome, man. That's such a great story. I love – thank you for telling that. Yeah. And, uh, no, your brother's a great dude, man. Just seems like a down-to-earth human being. And you can tell that he's been through a lot when he talks about the situation. Yeah. But he's also extremely grateful for the position he's in, mm-hmm. which I think is – it really shows his character. And that's, that's really cool. And with football, especially me included, so many people have to end their careers on an injury. Like it's just the fact, and it's hard to know when I should keep pushing through. Is this, you know, is this my body telling me it's done or is this like, all right, I can be tough. I can go through it. And it's t- especially when you're young, like you're just getting into football, you don't even get a taste of college football. And he's got to make that decision at a young age. It's, it's tough, man. And I think he made the right decision. And like you said, I think him making that decision turned him into the man he is today. No doubt. Because I, I went through the same thing. You know, going to a D2 school had way too big of an ego and got ego checked basically they moved me to o-line and i remember just like those moments and those i won't go too into detail but like those moments of me being on the o-line like i remember almost crying at practice like i was so distraught over it 
And it seems silly to someone like, oh, yeah, whatever. You're still playing football. But it was so in that moment, it was just so detrimental to me. But I look back at those moments and thank them because I would not be the person I am today without going through that. And that's the same thing for your brother, man. It's like you can sit here and go, damn, man, he was super unlucky. That sucks. But you can also sit here and say, damn, now he's got this ironclad mentality. He doesn't care about any challenge that comes up because you know he's going to run right through it. And anything compared to it in the future ain't shit to what he just went through. Mm -hmm. So you could have the perspective of like, damn, that sucks. Or you could have the perspective of like, that motherfucker is lucky, you know? <laughs> <laughs> he really got the luck, man. Yeah. And I look at I look that way about my injury and tearing my Achilles and going through all that because I think if I didn't go through that, I would not be I wouldn't be sitting here having this podcast. Mm-hmm. I don't think I would have the awareness and the humility, I guess is the right word maybe. But just that that feeling of like whatever challenge it is, I know I'm going to get through it because I've, I've, I've been tested before. I know I can get through that. Whatever comes up, I'm good. I'm good. I know I got the skills in me. I know I got the mindset in me. I'm going to get through this. And I think it's important. And I think it's, I think it's important too. And maybe we can get into this conversation of bringing about challenges. Mm-hmm. So I know for you, you just talk about, or you just talked to me about last week, you've been doing a cold shower every morning. Mm-hmm. And, dude, that's tough. I'm not going to lie. I, I do a cold shower after the sauna, and it's still uncomfortable, but it's a little easier because you're coming from the hot. But coming right out of a, you know, it's, we're in Ohio right now, so it's 25 degrees out right now or something like that. And going into a cold shower, the the pipes are cold too, so the water is even colder. It's cold. Dude, it sucks. But tell me why you're doing it. Yeah. So I'm always looking for ways to increase dopamine, I guess, is is the scientific way to, to, to say it. But I'm always looking for ways to just be happier. You know, like in college for me, like I, I was a pretty big partier. Like I was always looking for that vice. And there wasn't a weekend in college I wasn't going out and excessively drinking. Well, now I've, I've moved past that, and I'm looking for ways uh, to naturally provide that feeling for me. So I've always been a fan of a morning routine. Uh, it's evolved over the years, and I'm still trying to figure out ways to, to, uh, to make it as best as possible. I, that's like my morning drive into work. It's like, how could I feel better at this point in time, even though I feel amazing? So since the new year, uh, my alarm sets for 5.15. I roll right out of bed. And I turn on the cold shower and I get in for three minutes. Um, it, it was tough at first. But honestly, since I've really been in tune with my diet, I wake up with a lot of energy. Mm. And it's not as hard as I had. Because I've done it in the past. But it's not as hard now with my diet really tuned in in my sleep. So your diet, mm-hmm. when you eat at night. Because I, I do this. I'll try not to eat too soon to bedtime. So I like to eat around like eight o'clock to give me at least a couple, two, three hours mm-hmm. before I go to sleep. Do you do something similar or is it just like the quality of the food you're eating? It's more so the quality of the food. Like, for example, this past Wednesday, I was at that basketball game. I didn't eat till nine o'clock at night. And this this month, I've really been focusing on 90 percent of the time. I'm eating a modified carnivore diet, a lot of red meat, ground beef, um, 
and fruit, honey, and then some yogurt uh, as a snack. Uh, so that's been the majority of my diet and I truly feel like I have endless amounts of energy. Like it's, I've found what works for me. Uh, I'd be very surprised if there's something that works better for my body. Um, I'd be willing to try something else, no doubt in my mind, but this is what really works for me right now. And yeah, in terms of eating time, like six, seven o'clock is usually good, but I'm in bed at nine o'clock every night. Mm. Um, usually asleep by nine 30 and I get, I get up at 5.15, and I get right into the cold shower, and this is just – I've been really consistent with it since since January 1st, uh, and after work after, – right after, I'll get on my yoga mat and do three rounds of Wim Hof breath work, mm. which is 30 deep breaths in, in and out, deep into the stomach, breathing out, uh, 30 quick breaths, and then I have this timer that I – and then you release on the 30th breath, you release all the air in your lungs. So you're sitting there with no air in your lungs and you'll hold for as long as possible. Mm -hmm. Usually the first one, it'll be about a minute, then 30 more breaths. Then it'll be about a minute, 30 and then 30 more breaths. And I'm getting close to two minutes now with no air in my lungs. So that, those are the first 20 minutes of my morning. And after that, the trajectory of my day is just, it's this, you know, like there is nothing that can stop me. I truly feel unstoppable and I crave it now. Like when I, when I just, just today, like I was tired after work. I was super cold at work today. I was outside and I got home and I'm like, I'm going to take a cold shower. Like I need that mental clarity. Now mm-hmm. you start to crave it. Like I used to crave a drink on the weekends, you yeah. know, like it's the same exact feeling, but there's no come down. And it's actually like, it's, I, saw a video the other day that it's like I and the studies are cool and all but I like doing self studies Mm -hmm. like like people are like oh if you work out you're not going to have as much anxiety it's like well I like to just you know feel the sweat release through me and then like okay yeah that works for me okay so that's the what the cold shower does for me and the breath work on top of that is is truly life-changing and close to an out-of-body experience as close to I've gotten as like your fingers get tingly, your toes get tingly, you like feel like you're sinking into your mat. And afterwards, you have this clarity of mind that allows you to be present throughout the day. And uh, I would say it's about three hours after that I feel amazing. Um, and then, you know, it kind of dies off. So I'm, I'm looking for ways to, you know, figure out that midday. It's not a crash, but it's not that feeling that I have in the morning mm-hmm. after like, and that just makes everything better. Like that first sip of coffee that I have, oh, it's it's golden. Every morning, it's like you're so appreciative for everything. Mm. Um, so after the cold shower, breath work, I'll stand up and I'll do some yoga, uh, just like a five-minute stretch. And then I sit down and I journal in my – I'll read the Daily Stoic usually before I'll, I journal. And I'll just journal until I have to leave for work, grab my coffee, and go. And – uh a lot of the times I'll listen to a, a podcast or something on the way into work, but on other times I sometimes just like to sit in silence mm-hmm. and think about things like this. Like it wasn't always this morning routine, but these were the thoughts of, Oh, maybe I could do this. And I feel this much better. Like to this morning, I'm thinking about like, ah, oh, like what kind of, what kind of coffee could I get that might maybe might feel me, make me feel better. Could I make something better? Like I'm always trying to fine tune things. Cause I know it's not, it's not, it's not near perfect yet, you know? Yeah. And I'm always going to be, 
trying to figure something out that works the best for me. Mm -hmm. Um, and I just think that's the chase in life that I find super enjoyable. Um, and that's, that's it. Yeah. That's the fun part about self-improvement. Yeah. Is it's a game almost. Mm -hmm. You keep trying to experiment and trying to find stuff. And it's funny, the more it sounds like in your story, the more you do this stuff and find a routine that works for you, find tools, right? Like some some people, the cold shower does not work for. Mm -hmm. like I could tell you right now, Carly, I'm not getting her to take a cold shower. Neither, neither is Matt. <laughs> yeah, Matt, no, no, all right. Well, the girls aren't going to do that at all. But for us, it works great. And I, I, I share the same thing when I go in the sauna. I do a cold shower after I did mm -hmm. it this morning because I knew we were going to have this podcast. Yeah. I'm like, I want to be my tip top self. I did the cold, cold shower and it is weird, man. It really is. The clarity is so unworldly because we're always distracted, whether it's the TV, the cell phone, whether we're driving, whether we're talking to someone at work, whatever it is, we're always distracted. We have something to do. We always have a task at hand. And we don't get these opportunities and pockets in our day to just sit with our own thoughts, sit in silence, be able to focus on our breath, like the Wim Hof stuff. That's really cool. I read that in the ebb and flow. I don't know if you got mm -hmm. it from the same book. I, I've been, I've known about it for a while oh, okay. now, but I would actually have some, like some of my buddies in college come into my room and like, we would all do it together. Um, but I, I probably found out about it in high school, but spontaneously did it. Never did it um, for a consistent period of time. Mm. But it's always been something that I've been interested in because I've felt the way it's made me feel. Nice. Nice. I've been playing around with hold, like deep inhale for four seconds, hold for seven, and then release for eight and just keeping that cycle going. Yeah. I got that from the Ebb and Flow book. Uh -huh, yeah. And it's, it is interesting how our body – can act as this relaxant where we can like really focus on our breath and control our heartbeat, control our blood flow. It's unbelievable what the brain can actually do. Like I always think about that with placebos, mm -hmm. you know, when they do these studies on medications and then they'll have just a sugar pill that a whole placebo group will take. And sometimes you'll see in the placebo group, like 60, 70% effectiveness, and then you get 30% in the medication, and you're just sitting there thinking, like, dude, <laughs> like, how is this even possible? But I love that people are starting to research that now, and I don't know, I can't even remember where I saw this. It's the power of the mind. It's the power of the mind. But this one guy was talking about how he had a whole back surgery, had to get all his vertebrae uh, reconstructed and whatnot. And the way he fixed it now, listen, I'm no scientist. I don't know if this is true or not, but this is his, you know, what he said. He would go into a room, dark, no light whatsoever, basically like sensory deprivation for like three hours. And all he would do is focus his brain on his spinal segment and just reconstructing it bone by bone. And he said after, I don't know what the timeline was, let's just say three months, after three months, everything was healed. It all looked great, and he had no issues moving forward. I 100% believe it. You 100% believe it? 100%. I think the power of meditation and the power of our brain is yet to be tapped into. We yeah. have no idea what we can do. And I, the last girl I had on, shout out uh, Elizabeth Rohde, 
she talked about the human body, the brain, the body, everything is this black box. So, so often we try to think like, oh, is this coffee going to like make me feel more energized or like, you know, this type of food, this whey protein, blah, blah, blah. But we don't realize like that one little speck is going into this huge black box of things that we kind of understand, but we really don't fully understand. And then on the output, you have this, you know, whether that's feeling good, feeling bad, energized, whatever. But that black box is like, you can throw so much into it. But when you do it continuously, you have that routine. You start to realize like, okay, this, every time I do this, I'm starting to see the outcome here. Um, But the human body is just unbelievable, man. And the tools we can use to make it the best possible kind of doing ourselves a disservice if we don't try it out and experiment with it. Right. Like that's the fun part about life, right? Like going back to what I first said is like, that's the fun part about self-improvement dude is experimenting and really finding what works for you. And once you do exploring more into that, because you can, the search is endless, bro. Like the search for meaning is endless, right? The Victor Frankl yeah. book. Um, it, it never stops and don't ever think you're going to get to this perfect place because it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. But if we just keep going towards it, there's like that light at the end of the tunnel that we keep trying to go towards. That's when we see our best version of ourselves start to come through. Consistency. It just compounds yeah. over time. And the cool thing, like with anything, it, it gets, it gets more fun. It gets more enjoyable. It continually to make you feel better. Like this morning routine every day has gotten better. You know, when you go to the gym every day, you're getting better. It just gets better, 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 better. So don't get discouraged when you start something new and it's not great. Well, the next day is just going to be that much better. Even if it's a bad day, Mm -hmm. you know, you're going to learn from that. And the next day is going to be better, you know, because it can't be worse than the one before. It never can be. So it's being consistent with it and, and just, you know, don't be scared to switch something up. Um, I think a lot of people are like, oh, there's so many people that are preaching nowadays that it, it kind of eliminates uh, people's people's ability to want to be creative because, like, if somebody's always screaming in your face, especially on social media, trying to tell you what to do. It's like, yeah, you can take that, but take it with a grain of salt. Mm-hmm. Does that work for you? Um, what what works for you? Try something. Uh, just Just go out and throw yourself out there and – and see what you enjoy, you know? There's no way to, to know unless you try. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's super important just to throw yourself into the into the tidal wave and see how you are able to react. See, see where you do react, you know? Which way do you, which route do you take? And that's, you fear a lot about yourself when you, when you just immerse yourself in something that's completely different and you have resistance towards. Mm. I like that a lot. So, when you have bad days, man, do you just stick with the same routine and try to just stick to what you know works? Or is it like, okay, I got to switch this up. I know I'm having a bad day. Like, let's try to do something different. It's different every time. I want there's, there's a, I want to say a lot of the time, and this is what I do the majority of the time, but it's not all the time. There's times I find vices. Mm-hmm. I definitely have my vices. But the majority of the time, I double down on what makes me feel good. So I, I'm, I'm able to take it, look at it practically. Yes, I could go out. I could, I could do, find something that's going to be a quick fix. But 
but that's not who I want to be. You know, I have a purpose. I have a meaning. Uh, I don't want, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be known as that person. And there's always somebody watching. So, uh, I hold myself to a very high standard. And on those days when I'm not feeling like myself, I know that there, those are going to be the days that define me. So I doubled down on the cold showers. I doubled down on the workout. I was one of those days on Wednesday. Like I just did not, did not want to work out at all. And I said, you know what? I set the timer for 30 minutes. I said, you're going to work out for 30 minutes, move your body, get a good sweat, make it a little bit harder than usual. Uh, just because I know that's what you need. Um, and it ended up, you know, 30 minutes, that timer goes off. I'm a completely different human. Yep. And I know that going into it. Um, but yeah, just doubled down. There's been a lot of big decisions that are coming up in my life with, you know, uh, my job and my relationship and where I'm living and do I want to move and things like that. It's like, I got to listen to my, my intuition. And the only way to do that is everything's got to be aligned. Mm -hmm. So like really taking care of myself these past couple months has allowed me to have a clear vision, tell the truth, speak the truth. And honestly, when the time comes to make these big decisions, I'll know that I put myself in the best, best position to make those decisions. And yeah, man, no bad days. You know, you only, you only just learn from them. And I, you know, I don't want to be that person that acts like I'm perfect. I'm like, Oh, I doubled down when I have a bad day. I 100% have had the days where I give up and I, and I find a vice, but I'm trying to be better with it. And I, I would like to say, that the majority of the time, um, I do. I, I, I really focus on what makes me happy, and I pride myself on being pretty mentally tough, so I'm able to get there and do that, um, even when it's the most difficult days. How about you? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, I think for me, when I have a quote-unquote bad day, it's usually instinctual. So someone cuts me off in traffic or like, okay, I'll use this for example. So Thursday, I go into work. I'm super excited. I go, every time I go into work, so I, I work from home primarily, but every time I do go into work, I'll wake up early, go to the gym, do some type of mobility, maybe walk on a treadmill for a little bit, just get my blood flowing. I feel great going into work. The best feeling. The best feeling. <laughs> so I'm there like 7 a.m. As soon as I get to the parking lot, I live like 30 minutes from the office. I get a text from my landlord saying that the Best Buy guy is going to be there at 8 a.m. to 12 or whatever. And I totally forgot that I agreed to the Geek Squad coming and installing this ring, this ring like doorbells thing. The Geek Squad? Yeah. <laughs> I know. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but, dude, I just remember like Thursday or yesterday, I was pissed with myself. I was like – driving home and it was like I could and it wasn't one of those things where I'm thinking about what I'm doing I'm just instinctually like what the f like why would I do that you know that type of thing and about like five ten minutes into the drive my logic and reasoning start to take over so I think that's important for me when I do have instinctual reactions to something it's great to take a breath and have the awareness of like, this is an instinct. This is my natural instinct of me being aggressive or me being angry or even lust. You know what I mean? Those type of things, any type of instinctual reaction. 
having the awareness to go, that's an instinct. That's not me. That's just my natural human being instinct. Let's let my logic, my reasoning, my morals, my values take over and kind of act as a filter to my actions. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Um, And I think it's important to develop that logic and reasoning as far as you can possibly take it. And that's when you start to really control your own life. Because if you're being pulled by strings on instincts, and I'm, and I, I brought this up to really highlight the point is like, we're not perfect human beings. Like we don't, I don't have the best days all the time. Like there are days I wake up and I'm like, I don't want to work today. (laughs) Like going back to that resistance piece of it. Like we, we all go, I think almost every human being has that resistance, but it's when you do feel that instinctual resistance going back to like, Oh, I set this standard for myself. Like I told people that I was going to get this podcast episode done. So I need to go in and get this episode done. You know what I mean? It's, it's holding yourself to a higher standard of logic and reason. So that's, that's kind of what I do. Yeah. And, and not succumbing to being a victim of your emotions. Exactly. You know, like you, if you play the victim card in your life, you're going to play it with yourself. So really, it's just a trickle-down effect of every single way that you act in your life. If you're someone that blames everybody else for something, well then, you know, when it comes down to you dealing with something in yourself, you're going to find something else to portray it on. When, at the end of the day, it's it's you. It's your emotions. Only you can take control of those. You know, and that's what I realized when I had to go do that workout. Like, these are just emotions. Mm-hmm. I can conquer them. So let's do it. Yeah. And going, going back to the example of someone cutting you off in traffic, <laughs> it, it really anything where somebody else, something external is driving your emotion, right? It's having that awareness and mindset to go, you are not going to control how I feel about this, this action or this circumstance. I'm going to control that. That's me. I, that's, that's the one power I do have. I don't have power over what you do. I don't really don't have, I can't control it. I can't control the weather. I can't control if there's going to be an accident on I-40 going west. But I can control how I react to that situation. And, you know, going back to like the daily stoic and stoicism and finding that three years ago, it changed my life, dude. It changed the way I think about things. It changed the way I react to things. I think, uh, what I do a lot more of now is like take a breath before I'll try to have a conversation or something and really listen. Right. And, uh, start to understand like what, what are the words I'm trying to say? And again, I'm saying this, I'm not perfect. I'm sure I messed up in this podcast episode myself, but it's that attempt. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think when, when we attempt to do that, that's when we start to see, things start to blossom and in our true purpose and our true value and the word we're trying to get out really starts to reverberate in, in other people's ears as well. Yeah. Very easy to see through, see through someone who's just not, not aligned with what they're saying. Mm-hmm. And that's one of my biggest fears, to be honest. I want to, I want to do what I say I do and mm-hmm. complete that every single day you know and there's there's like we said there's gonna be bad days but 
one of my biggest fears is not living up to my full potential. But also, if I say something, I, I do it. Yeah. Being a man of your word. Yeah, man of your word. That's important. That's really, really, really important. And it kind of think I think it kind of ties into confidence. And I want to I probably shared this a couple of times on the podcast, but Schaefer, Coach Schaefer, I remember distinctly this conversation. I bring it up all the time. Is this like what you look like? I, you're I almost something? brought up a, a story earlier. I wonder if it's the same one. It was about you and Schaefer, but go on. Yeah. So the end of spring ball going into my junior year and I had a pretty good spring ball you know I was one of the top eight guys on the d-line and our like as you know I think you came in that year you were yeah the best in the country yeah Yeah. we were I mean literally the best in the country like led the NCAA in sacks at all three levels all three levels we were dogs I mean all eight of those guys I I truly believe could have played d1 football no doubt no doubt and I came in and I said, I'm never going to play a snap on this team after seeing you monsters. <laughs> yeah, we were, I mean, up front, like the, the front. <laughs> monsters. Yeah, the D tackles, all four of us. So you had Tyler Frederick, who was over 300 probably a, at the time. A gorilla. A gorilla. And like hard to move, dude. He had so much mass in his lower body. Shout out to Fred. And then Connor Bogard, who was like a snake, bro. Like he reminds me. If I had to compare him to anybody, he would be like the Kevin Durant of D linemen. Because <laughs> yeah. like he wasn't the strongest guy in the weight room or even the fastest guy on the field. But bro, the way he was able to move his body and like use his hands so well to get off blockers, one of the like I'm not even kidding, one of the best defensive linemen skill people I've ever seen. Like the way he was just he was so fluid with his movements. He was playing chess. Yeah, he was playing chess. Great way to put it. And then you have athletic freaks on both ends. Adam Thompson, who was so overlooked because of the other guys. Yeah. But probably the best D lineman probably. of the four. Yeah. Like the the way he the tenacity he had. Unmatched. He, he was like unblockable, dude. And one of the hardest workers I've ever seen. Then you got Jimmy Thomas who's still playing football right now. I don't know, like I think it's arena football. Uh-huh. Still playing right now. Another athletic freak, dude. Yeah. Like the way he got around the end was awesome. And then you have the guys on the second line, like you had me and Cal on the interior, mm-hmm. great backups. Like we're very similar in, uh, you know, uh, like body types and everything and uh, athleticism and whatnot. You know, we had different skill sets, but like very similar Yeah. in that way. And a great, great backup to T Fred and Bogard. And then you had, um, I think Ray Brown on one end and then Schmidt, <laughs> Ray Brown, dude, yeah. <laughs> like um, think of that, like your, your backup, and is Ray Brown. That right. dude is a monster. And I think he was a preseason All-American one year. Like, he's, yeah. he's just a freak. And then you had Schmitty, who was, like, another 6'4 dude with crazy long arms yeah. who would have these games where you're like, bro, you should be starting. Right. Every every single one of those guys had – like, every single one of us had, had the authority to really start, you know, and had that, that uh, capability of being a starter. And that's what Schaefer was telling me, going back to the story. We were sitting down – Cross the table. I'm a little nervous because, dude, Schaefer was intimidating. Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, he he just sits down and, like, looks me in the eye, and he's like, you know, you could be one of our top four guys. And I'm like, damn, that's pretty cool. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> I definitely respected his opinion more than almost anybody on that team at the time. So mm-hmm. that was awesome to hear. And he goes, but the thing is, you lack confidence. And I've heard that before. I've heard um, – 
like times in my life, whether that's at work or whatever, is like, you know, just be confident, you know, like you gotta just be confident, go out there, be yourself, blah, blah, blah. But it, anytime I heard that advice, it was always like, just be confident. Yeah. What what does that mean, dude? I don't know what that means. Just be confident. Right. What is that word? Can you dissect that word for me? And no one ever did. But he was the first one to do that. And he broke it down so simple. It was like, the way you gain confidence, you just need to work so hard that when you finally get on the field and it's time for game time, it's like second nature. You put the work in. You know, you're like, I, could, I couldn't have done anything else. Mm-hmm. Like, I know I'm confident in my ability that I'm going to do well because of all that work that I put in. And that has just translated to everything I've done in life, dude, is, you know, whether that's even just like my relationship with Carly. Like if I, if I want to have a good relationship and have confidence that this is going to last for a long time, then I need to put the work in. Right. I need to give her attention. I need to sit down and have conversation with her. I need to do the dishes after she just had a long day too, but I, yeah, maybe I did just work. You know what I mean? Right. I could sit here and be like, you wash the dishes. I make more money, you know, yeah. but I'm not going to be a dick like that. That's uh-huh. not what it takes to have a, a long lasting relationship. I'm going too off topic here, but <laughs> anyways, the, the confidence aspect, dude, it's, it's whatever you do, whether that's podcasting, like we are here or, you know, going into fitness and doing kettlebells. It's just the work, man. It's just the hours you got to put in the work Mm -hmm. and you're going to suck at first and that's okay. That's totally fine. But if you want to be confident in whatever that is, public speaking, podcasting, kettlebell workouts, whatever, there's no way around it. It's not some book you can read about how to gain confidence. It's not more people telling you how you need to be more confident. It's simply you putting in the work. Is that is that simple? And I know it's it's, it's people are gonna listen, but yeah, duh, you know. But at that moment in my life, I never heard that before, right. so I needed to hear that for me to change my actions and and who I was. Yeah. So, going off that story, I was gonna bring something up when you were talking about my little brother, and I was gonna talk about how every teams are so cool because everyone has a different story, but everybody plays a role, you know, mm. like the classic. Um, correlation that people make is like the scout team makes you know the starters which which is 100 percent true but i remember when you were going through your injury and you were coming back and it was like whatever was it when did you re-tear your achilles or when did you hang when did you uh decide was it like midway through camp right so senior year camp yeah so i'll tell i'll tell it i'll take it back to when i tore it so okay Going into that year, my junior year, this is the year where we were stacked up, eight D linemen. Second game of the year, I do were crushing Otterbine. Start of the fourth quarter, I head in on a third down. I don't think I like played a couple, a couple of possessions, so I was like, I was pretty cold. But whatever, you know, it's football. You got to be ready. Yeah. And I head in. We're running a twist play, so the end crashes in, and then as soon as I see that end crash in. I'm looping around to get to the quarterback, and I'm basically outside contained. But, dude, it was like a party in there. Like, both ends crashed in. We were all there to get the sack. It was wild. And uh, as I'm coming around the end, I plant my left foot to, you know, beam right towards the quarterback. And I went down, dude. I felt – I thought someone kicked me. I thought the – because I got right by the tackle. I'm like – 
this motherfucker this motherfucker <laughs> just kicked me, dude. I can't believe I was so sick. I was pissed, dude. I wanted to beat his I ass. Didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, dude. I I was like, oh, someone just kicked me. Like in my head, that's what I was thinking. Uh, and uh, you know, looking back on the film, no one was even close to me. I just it just tore. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, it was it was a complete tear. Um, ended up getting surgery probably like four days after that. I mean, I had to get surgery. Um, and it was, dude, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to go through in my life. It was, it was three months of not being able to walk. So I was in like a full on cast, couldn't walk for three months. Um, I mean, the muscles just atrophied and I'm still, I'm still dealing with a lot of the repercussions from it. Um, just hip pain, knee pain, and just trying to get my, and it sounds crazy, like just learning how to walk properly again, Mm -hmm. learning a lot of uh, just proper gait motion, posture, all that stuff. But yeah, so it was was an 11-month process to get ready for camp. I was definitely nervous coming into camp because I was like, all right, you know, I trained with T-Rob the whole summer. Um, There were a lot of weeks where I couldn't run because I was just too sore Mm -hmm. you know i was still doing rehab every day um really taking care of it as much as i could but you know you're you're playing d3 football you don't get all the resources available that you Mm -hmm. know an nfl team could get no doubt so and even then dude a lot of nfl guys don't even come don't don't make a comeback in 11 11 months but i did it so you know going in going into camp um and yeah, I think I made it about eight days into camp. You know, it, it was funny, too, because I remember going through a film session and Schaefer was like, yeah, Trevor, you seem to knock the rust off. And I remember thinking, like, bro, I don't think I can just knock this rust off. Yeah. <laughs> like, this is permanently on here. But I was so I was so determined. Like, it was like 11 months oh, yeah. of me just nothing else on my mind but getting back to this last year, dude. It was like. Cause I was going to finish my career that junior year. I tore my Achilles. I'm like, yo, I just, I want to be done. Let Mm -hmm. me just have a free open semester. I've never not played football. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to kind of see how that felt. But, um, when I tore it, I'm like, I can't end on this. I can't end on this. I'm going to try to come back. I'm happy I did. It was a great experience, but yeah, day, day eight of camp, dude. Um, we just get done with an inside run period. And this was the practice the first practice where they moved me to inside. Mm-hmm. So I was previously playing uh, the end, but I knew it. I just didn't have like the speed and the uh, change of direction. Like I just didn't have the same thing in my left leg that I once did. It wasn't the same athlete, bro. So they moved me back to inside. And it's funny too, cause this inside run period, dude, these four plays, <laughs> sorry, Herodine, but bro, I made Herodine look so bad, like, <laughs> like so bad. And I remember thinking like, okay, I guess I'm playing inside this year. Like this is going to be, we're going to figure it out. I was a little nervous with the Achilles, but like, all right, we'll figure it out. And, uh, obviously, you know, you're a day eight of camp, you're sore, but I'm jogging back to the, the other session. And bro, like as I'm jogging, just jogging, I feel this crazy, like, uh, I don't know if it was a pain. It was like a, almost like a sharpness almost in my Achilles that went right up through my calf. And I'm like, bro and it, it hurt like it hurt pretty bad and you know i get o- go over to the trainer and whatever they take all the tape off me and it wasn't really much they could tell me you know i i remember meeting with a doctor the day after and him just 
analyzing both my Achilles, and he was like, bro, in my 30 years of practice, I don't think I've any, ever seen anyone this young with this many Achilles problems. Um, I was, It was one of those moments where you're like, dude, am I doing the right thing? Yeah. Like, is this really it? But uh, that it just the question just kind of came into my mind after that. And then uh, I spent a week, maybe a week and a half, just rehabbing, you know, going in, getting ice, just trying to come back and trying to make it feel better. And it was the day before the scrimmage, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go see. I'm going to hit the pad. I wasn't going to play the scrimmage. Um, but I'm like, all right, you know, I want to get back for the first the first week. Plus, I had to knock the rust off of not playing for a whole yeah. year. And, uh, yeah, dude, I, I go in. And I go to hit the sled, and uh, everything just, like, came crashing all at once. Like, it uh, – actually, I'll go back to the first – so when I first, like, re-tore it or re-injured it, dude, it was so crushing because I knew I needed that camp to, like, get my skills back. Yeah. And uh, I just fucked – I just didn't, didn't have enough uh, awareness, I guess, of doing a load management in camp. You know, mm-hmm. I just wanted to go full go, and you're a football player. It's all you know. So coach tells you to go and you're going to go. But uh, I remember just like putting a towel over my head in the locker room and just fucking crying, dude. Just I got so much emotion overwhelm me. Like, damn, I just, I didn't, I I didn't have the feeling of wasting 12 months of my life, but it was like, uh, I, you know, you work so hard for something that you Mm -hmm. don't even get the taste. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I said, I waited that whole week, week and a half. And went to go hit the pad again, and I'm like, yeah, I don't have it. Yeah. Like, I just don't – I can't do this anymore at a high level. And it sucked, bro. Like, that feeling – that feeling of you're always the top – and I don't – I won't say I'm a, I was the top dog by any means. Like, you know, I transferred schools, went from D2 to D3, um, never got any D1 offers, maybe like a D1 AA walk-on. So it's not like I'm sitting here telling you I'm, I was the next Aaron Donald by any means. But when you're a football player, like, your identity is, is really wrapped up in being a badass. And, like, I really thought my body could do anything it wanted to. And when it broke down, it was, like, it was so crushing to my ego and just who I was. And um had to really, really look inward and, like, I mean, it was a, it's still been a, a long process of, like, looking inward and, like, who am I, you know? Like, what what do I actually want to do with this life? But, uh, yeah, I remember after I had that feeling um, talking to my dad because I, I a big reason why I played football was because of my dad, dude. I mean, he was one of my coaches in sixth grade my first year, and I started because I, I kind of felt that felt that acceptance from him when I, you know, would have a good game. And, yeah. you know, he went to every single one of my games. And it was always something we bonded over. And, you know, he played football at a high level. And I wanted to do the same thing, man. I wanted to go out my last year and play really well. You know, be an academic All-American. Like, I always had the grades for it. I just never had the chance to play enough games. Yeah. Um, so it, it was one of those moments where I had – conversation with my dad and I thank God that you know he's always been so supportive of me and um he agreed with everything that I was going through you know and he was like listen don't feel like you need to play football Mm -hmm. like there's so much more life yet to live 
I don't want you to ruin your body for 10 weeks of a season. For sure. And, um, you know, going back to your, your story about your brother, I think if, you know, I was in the beginning of my career and I had more time to take off, I would have stuck with it. Yeah. You know, I would have been like, all right, fuck, let's just take, you know, three more months off and let's try to come back week six. But it, it was my last year. So I, I really didn't have that opportunity. And, you know, I had a sl- like so much competition too. like John Carroll D. Lyman. That's nothing to to, to sneeze about. Or, no. You know, I had Dan Garkar right behind me yeah. ready to take my spot. And it was one of those moments where I'm like, this isn't for me anymore. And uh, it was a tough decision, but, you know, I'm glad I went through with it. I'm glad I went through with the decision to stop playing. And I'm also glad I went through with the decision to try to rehab and come back because if I didn't do that and I just like, "Ah, peace out, I'm done. For sure. You know, I don't think I would have the relationship I have with a lot of the guys on the team at the time. And, you know, I think looking back on that moment, like that's what meant the most to me is guys coming up after I decided to stop playing and like giving me hugs and dapping me up and like, bro, you were such an inspiration for me. Like seeing you, seeing you grind. Cause bro, like you, I mean, you remember I was in the gym two days, like, or two times a day, like just going crazy, trying to come back. Um, for sure. And sometimes things don't work out how you expect them to, but you just gotta accept it the way it is. And that's okay. And I, I want to tell the story when I, but I I gotta go to the bathroom. So, okay. So yeah, that's that's such a good story. And what I was gonna piggyback off with that story is another one about Coach Schaefer. And I remember when that happened to you. And this go this ties in with my brother's story as well as everybody plays a part on that team. And you know, my brother probably felt so lost and was like, "I'm not I'm not contributing to the team because I'm not I'm mm-hmm. not making tackles. I'm not scoring touchdowns." But I remember when my mom went on campus and, like, got to meet some of the teammates for the first time because he really wasn't in that community, like, engulfed in that community. He wasn't at the playing in games and stuff like that. And so many people were coming up to her, like, he's such an inspiration. Like, he's he's the toughest guy we know, and I can't believe what he's been through. Like, he's an inspiration for all of us. And I remember um, Coach Schaefer telling the story, like, when you decided to hang it up, like – listen, hey, every time I went to the cafeteria, like Trevor was that guy in the Corbo after working out, putting in that extra work. Like you don't think that guy wanted to be on the field. Like he did everything, tried to defy the odds of coming back in 11 months. Like this is the guy we're playing for. Like remember that he's not able to come back out here and and play today. Like play for that guy. Like everybody plays their part in the team. And with a guy like Coach Schaefer, like – it's crazy that I remember that because every word that came out of his mouth held, held so much weight. Just like Mm -hmm. you remember that simple conversation with them, you know, meeting a couple months before the season. And it's so cool to look back on and take these, these lessons that you learn in sport. It's like, it's, it's so cool. And I'm so thankful for every experience and a story like that, that I'll be able to look back on. And, you know, even through your trials and tribulations, like somebody's looking to you for strength. So how are you going to react in that situation? Mm-hmm. So special. It's so special. You but, know, it's funny. Like, how could you possibly think that that had meaning, you know, while going through it? Yeah. You know, because like 99% of the time you're, you're, you're in the Corbo. Like you're, you're, nobody sees you. Yeah. Like, you know, 
it's all like it's work within yourself you're constantly battling your ego you're constantly battling the doubt um you know you don't realize it but you are you're moving mountains yeah yeah it was a lonely time too that you go you talking about your brother feeling kind of secluded and isolated during those moments dude it was i felt the exact same thing because i'm seeing you guys i think you were freshman at the time but i'm seeing you guys get to play you know i i did contribute a sack to the sack count of uh john carroll that that year we led the league oh yeah, yeah but yeah. it's like i you know i didn't really get to experience that past game two you know i'm grateful that i did get to experience it up to game two because some people don't get to at all but i you know i'm watching you guys while i'm laid up in bed thinking to myself like fuck like damn i wish i could be there you know i wish i could be there and the whole time like during that process of me just grinding 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 yes i was alone but a lot of my thoughts were like i can't let my guys down mm-hmm. and i remember when i retore it I went down in the locker room I told you I just like broke down crying I just felt so defeated and uh the special teams guys come down so it was like Andy Hahn the goat the goat uh Dom Felino and I can't I can't remember (laughs) who else yeah the goat but I mean Dom was like I appreciate him a lot in that moment because he gave me so much support when I really needed it and um, I feel bad because I didn't, I didn't get to hold up my end of what I said. I was like, I'm not gonna let this like stop me from playing, and it, it ended up it did. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you do that for a lot of your guys, and like I like I didn't have brothers, you know, I'm an only child, so I look at a lot of my teammates and the people I got to play with as brothers because you go through so much shit together. It's it's so much less about the winning and don't get me wrong like winning a, a big game is satisfying but it's those trials and tribulations that bring you guys so close like it's those days where you have to do 45 110s it's those days where you're just grinding in the weight room and like yeah no one else is really looking but you guys know like you know that I'm putting in that work f- for us to be good and that's that's really what I remember most about football and what I miss the most is the camaraderie and it sounds crazy, but like the shit that we used to go through, like I missed, I missed that getting screamed at and going through all those one tens and like all that stuff because that in turn made us all so close and it bonded us in such a way that I don't think a lot of people get to experience and I'm so grateful for it, dude. Like I, I, you know, I wish I could just go back and not even do a game, dude. Just like us hanging out before practice yeah. or like a before camp thing. You know, that was always one of my favorite times of the year. Um, but when you're in it, you don't even think it's going to end. You know, yeah. you don't, you don't see an end in sight. You're just so in the moment and loving it so much and like appreciating it for what it is. Um, yeah, man, I'm super grateful for that experience it's incredible and you know there's so many correlations that we're so lucky to have great leaders in our time there mm-hmm. um, you know the players that were older than us at least at least in my situation players that were you know seniors and juniors when I came in 
for their guidance that they uh, that they gave to me and and led by example, but also the the coaching came top down. I was lucky enough to have the same coach for four years, and you know, he he instilled a, a culture that was, you know, will be ingrained in John Carroll for generations to come because it's just a it's a trickle down effect and it's such a great place um to grow and you know get the best out of yourself i agree i totally agree i really credit john carroll to saving my life mm-hmm. because i i came in at a time where i felt so lost like being at mercyhurst and uh i was just I was in a bad spot, man. I was really unhealthy. I didn't know how to eat correctly. Like I was, I was probably up to like 275 mm-hmm. at my highest at Mercyhurst. Um, I did lose some weight my sophomore year, but I still wasn't like even close to what I am now. I was just scratching the surface of it. Yeah. And uh, just remember feeling so defeated at Mercyhurst because, you know, I came there on scholarship. I remember signing day. And even like the end of like my last college or uh, high school game, just thinking like I'm gonna be a freak, like I'm gonna go crazy in college. Like I don't even care about this last game that we just ended because I'm, I got college coming up. And uh, talk about not living up to expectations. I mean, the program was just not very good, man. Yeah. It was, uh, you know, we didn't we didn't have a winning season anytime I was there. The coach. You know, looking at Fanati, he's really a player's coach. Mm-hmm. Like, he cares about his guys way more than the win or the X's nose or any of that. Like, he cares about you as a human being, and I think that's that's got to be the base as a coach, bro. If mm-hmm. you don't care about your players as human beings and take the effort to do that, you're never going to see a winning franchise or have a, a, a good program. And that's exactly what it was at Mercyhurst, dude. It just wasn't. Like, I remember my dad coming, my dad and um, my second cousin coming up for a game, and it was a spring game, and usually in spring, like, you're excited, like, oh, dude, I haven't played football in a long time, like, can't wait to get out on the field and just fly around, man, and have fun, like, we're all jumping around, but it wasn't like that at all, dude. I remember just the whole feeling of, dude, I can't wait till this is over, and everyone felt that way. You know, maybe like the top guys didn't feel that way because they just love football so much. Right. But it was just the culture wasn't there, man. And I remember even the second year, we didn't work out one time the entire season together as a team. Like, and yeah. I don't even remember really having like team workouts that much. I mean, we did it in the off season, I'm sure, but during the season, there was not a single workout we did as a team. And it's, you know, it doesn't seem like a huge thing, but it's, it's big, man. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't have those moments of like going hard in the, in the weight room, you're missing out on a lot. And I just, you know, the program just wasn't run very well to, to put it frank. Um, but it, it fucked with my ego a lot too, because they moved me to O-line and, you know, the D lineman, I always had the feeling I'm too athletic for O-line, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm yeah. not. Like every D-lineman thinks. Yeah, every D-lineman thinks that and until you they move you down there. <laughs> um, and it was one of those situations. So I'll, I'll go a little more in depth. So when I first got to Mercyhurst, I was doing well, bro. We ran a three – it was like – I think it was a 3-3-5. Three, three, 
or it was a 3-4, one of the two. But we had three down linemen. So I would alternate a lot between that anchor position, so like a DN, almost like a four-tech, and then the head-up nose guard. I could play both. So that was like a big positive for me because I was big enough to play both of those positions, and I was interchangeable. And uh, by the end of camp, dude, I was like third string. You know, I was a freshman, but I had the chance to like – get a couple snaps, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. eight to 10 snaps in a game. Who knows, depending on the game. But I was in that position and I felt really good about it. And, um, we're going into the first week. So Monday happens. I think we had off on Monday. So we're coming in for the first practice on Tuesday, but before we go in for practice, I get a text from my coach saying, Hey, can you come into the office? So I get in there, I sit down and he's like, Hey, so listen, we have had a lot of injuries on the O line. Um, we think you can go right in and make an impact. So we're going to throw you in with the second team today and, and see how you do. And in my head, I'm like, dude, I, I never played online. Like I, I did in sixth grade when I was yeah. uh, like a, a center. Um, and I didn't even play the full sixth grade year. And then I, I played a little bit like both ways in middle school, but you're just playing football. You're not really thinking of technique. And now I'm at the high, like one of the highest right. levels of college football. And, they're asking me to play a completely different position. And, uh, yeah, that first practice was fucking rough, dude. Like I, I just like you're talking about like crying in the, like on the field. Like I remember just like on the verge of tears in my helmet and trying so hard to just like keep my emotions in, you know, and not, not let it out. Cause it crushed me, dude. And, uh, it was just like, ever since that point, it was like I always butted heads with the coach. I, Dude, I could not stand the O-line coach. I thought he treated his players like dogs, and I don't I don't respond well to that shit at all. I'm not really cool with that. No. Um, and, yeah, dude, it was, it was really rough two years. And I went into my second year. I lost a little bit of weight, so I got down from, like, 270 probably to about 250, and I was pretty confident, like, all right, they're going to move me back. Like, I felt pretty good about it, and that's why I came back a second year. And, dude, we went, like, three and seven. I had to play scout team online the whole time. And uh, it was challenging, bro. It was really it was really hard. I was super lucky I had, you know, really good friends at Mercyhurst. We, we hooped a lot, man. That If I didn't have that support system, I don't know. I don't know what I would have done. But, yeah, I, I left Mercyhurst from that point. Um, and John Carroll recruited me in high school like Coach Arth and all those guys, Coach Staley, now the head coach of the, the Chargers, they recruited me out of high school. And I remember saying, like, okay, if it doesn't work out at Mercier's, like, this is going to be my backup plan. And that's exactly how it worked out. And then I remember getting in contact with them, set up the whole transfer thing with, with the NCAA. And uh, I think it was, like, November. So, you know, the semester starts in January. But in November, we get word – Oh, yeah, Coach Arth is leaving. They're going to Chattanooga, the whole coaching staff, like yeah. everyone that recruited me. And I'm just like, dude, you got to be kidding me. So it was it was tough, man. It was really challenging, but everything works out for a reason. Like, we, you know, we went and just had breakfast with Fanati. And I remember when he first like gave his speech to the team when he got hired, and I just had this feeling like, yeah, this is going to work out. Like, yeah. I, I can play for this guy. He's a, he's a player's coach. Um, and we did great, man. I thought we had a – I had a really good three years there. Um, you know, there's probably some 
disputes of whether, you know, playing time, whatever. But I, that shit didn't matter to me at all. I was just happy to be on a team where I was playing D-line. And, you know, because, I, I, you know, me and Cal have discussions. Like, oh, we should, maybe we should have been playing more our sophomore year, whatever. But, I like I, like I said, I really don't care about that because I got to go to this school that um, opened my eyes to so many – so many people gained so many relationships from it and got to do what I love. And I really thank coach Venati for bringing that love back in, into me for the game because I lost it, bro. I really, I really despised the game and I almost quit and went to Cleveland state, but I'm happy. I stayed and went to John Carroll. That's beautiful. I'm glad you did too. Yeah. We wouldn't, we would have never met, bro. I know. I just had like a full circle of like the nerves of me coming to John Carroll and like my mom dropping me off and crying and you know like seeing these absolute units and just thinking to myself like oh my god I'm <laughs> in way too deep like I'm 18 years old some of the like it's like oh yeah this fifth year I'm like that dude's 23 like this guy plays my position like these guys are all studs and you're mm-hmm. like I'm coming with 80 guys and it's funny how it's full circle like you were one of the guys sitting in the front down there that I'm like Jesus, like, <laughs> like, I don't know, like, I don't belong with these animals, you know, yeah. and now we're here. And you did, man, you did, yeah, and I think you just staying in that position is the reason you did so well, like, even though you felt that way, you, like, that resistance you talk about, like, you had that resistance of, like, I don't belong here, but in my head, you know, I remember you and Hunter we're coming in and you you guys like stepped up to the plate right away. I'm like, dude, these guys can play ball. Like they can move around. They're smart on the field. And I remember thinking like, oh, we're good for the next four years. Like we got linebackers. <laughs> I remember saying that, dude. Yeah. So it's it's funny like you had that feeling and um you know, totally different perspectives. Like you never know what someone else is feeling cuz I I remember uh that senior year, the year I got hurt, the it was a scout team quarterback. I can't remember his name. I think he's from Michigan. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was a runner. He, used to, he loved to run the ball. I remember him. Yeah, I forget his I name. I can't remember his name right now. But um, I remember Zach him. Solden? I don't remember. You okay. could say it, and I might. I probably won't even remember. Okay. Because he was a freshman at the time. But I remember, like, just going, like, not fighting with him, but having competition, like, friendly competition out on the field. And there was this one play where he, like, he didn't know the scout team quarterbacks or, like, even quarterbacks in general. Like, once a defensive person comes up to you, like, it's dead. You know, I can't (laughs) can't come in and hit you hard because you got a red jersey on. But with his mentality, and I respect it a lot, he saw me coming in for the tackle and said, oh, I'm going to lower my shoulder and run your ass over. And he ran my ass over <laughs> when I was like, bro, I'm gonna, I'm coming in to just, like, tag you, you know? And uh, he came up to me after practice in the training room like, bro, I'm so sorry. Like, I did not mean to do uh, – I'm like, dude, you're good. But he said something like, dude, you just scared the shit out of me. I had to come up and apologize. And in my head, I'm like, really? Like, you're scared of me? Because in my – and I'm, I'm thinking to myself – bro, I'm not even close to, like, as good as I used to be. And, like, I'm thinking about how I'm not a good player anymore and, like, all that stuff. But in his head, he's like, oh, here's this big dude with long hair and a beard. <laughs> like, he's scary as hell. And it's just funny to hear hear other people's perceptions of you and, 
in specific moments where you don't have that confidence? Yeah, I think it's I think it's one of those things where um, I think I've put the p- puzzle pieces together as of recently and why I was able to succeed um, and find like finagle my way into a spot I don't think I was the most talented by any means. Mm-hmm. Um, it's this quote that somebody told me recently, which was, you can't manufacture hardship. And everything that was stressing me out um, comes down to this, and I'll explain why. Uh, I remember being in a group chat with all the freshmen, and I'm looking at these guys like men or St. Ed's, all the all the people that had been, you know, made state title runs. Like they're all they're all state, whatever this and that. Like I, I had nothing attached to my name. Mm-hmm. Like didn't didn't made one playoff game, lost it in my career, um, lost a lot of football games, got beat up a lot, and. Um, but you can't manufacture that hardship. So I was worried about these guys that, like, knew how to win. And, like, I thought that the coaches would love to bring in winners, you know. Like, I was a loser. Like, I didn't win games. Mm. But at the end of the day, you can't manufacture hardship. Like, I know how to respond after a loss. Yeah. Which is much more valuable after than learning how to win, you know. Like, as a coach, like, if I were ever a coach, I'd love to bring in those dogs that are just, like, have that mentality of, no matter how many times I lose, like I'm coming back after you. Yeah, I'm gonna keep going. And that was my mentality without even realizing it. Cause that once again, with through those transformative years of football, that was just what was instilled in me. Like my whole entire football career was based on pride. I was never playing for anything. Mm-hmm. In my whole career, I knew I was never playing for anything. You know, like we had the hopes of it, but it got shut down so early. And like by week four or five, you're like, we're playing for pride, man. Like, what, what do you like? Could dig deep and let's play for pride. And we were, if you look, it's funny. Our coaches bring up a chart. This is what, like, this is what we played for. If you look down the chart, and we play every team, um, the week after they would almost lose or lose to a terrible team because we would just beat the shit out of them. Like that was our mentality in high school. Is like we're gonna go out there, give it our all, and smack these guys around. And that's what we did. It was like pretty cool to see. Like we gave it everything. And we gave them hell. We didn't win the we didn't win the most games because we weren't the most talented. But like we had a group of guys, and I learned so much from them. We all played both ways. We all played special teams. Oh I was man! The, oh oh special oh dude, you remember Nick Gizzo? Yeah. yeah. So he was my quarterback, punt returner, corner, kick returner, and he run down on kickoff too. This is high level football in yeah. Pittsburgh. This is five yeah. A football. Yeah. You know, and I was a long snapper kickoff kick return everything never came off the field tight end and middle linebacker that's crazy man crazy you guys are endurance athletes endurance (laughs) athletes dude we we would all be sitting on the bus ride home after we lost and all spazzing out in cramps and we never got to experience many wins it was it was we would lose and then it was 7 a.m the next morning in the pool and uh into the into the film room with reggie wells who was a super bowl captain who had just ended his career and came back to coach with his high school coach. And those were not like that. A man like that does not like losing. Like this, this was not fun. Yeah. Like it's funny to look back and, and laugh about it. This was not fun. Like, and I was on the team with my brothers and we, we were looked at as some of the leaders on the team. Mm-hmm. Like that was a lot to take on. Cause like we never stopped. Like we were playing for pride. There was nothing. People were telling us there's nothing to play for, but like every day we are still chasing something. And God, yeah. I'm so thankful for those years. And we are a team that lifted all the way through the season and did like everything the right way, even when we weren't we were done playing for anything. And I think that that mindset of and being around that it made 
my mentality and like Gizzo other than Tyshawn was the strongest pound for pound on the team. Like coach Fernandez would say the top one of the toughest guys on the team, you know, mm-hmm. like you can't manufacture that. Like we went through it and that's a result of going through that. Yeah. Dude. <laughs> Football is funny, man. <laughs> Football is funny. Cause it's, it's a huge parallel to life in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. You take so many L's dude. You take so many L's like, and it's not even just the end score game. Like it's, that single play where you might have got double teamed by two three hundred pounders and got put in your ass in the yeah. dirt, you know you take a lot of losses um, over your career, and you you learn how to how to deal with it. You know the sorest losers are always the worst leaders. Yeah, they don't know how to lead people because they're so used to winning, and it's like, yeah. you don't think we all want to win, bro? Yeah, like just because you're all mad and like crying and like yeah. getting hysterical doesn't doesn't mean we don't want to win too. Um, but you know, it, it kind of remind me of these new David Goggins podcasts, and this might be a good a good place to end because we're on, we're coming up on two hours here. Mm-hmm. But he talks a lot about over these recent podcasts working hard for something, even though there's nothing there. Mm-hmm. Like you have something external to work for, it's really easy to do it. We've always had a season, a game to work for, you know, maybe a marathon, triathlon, these external factors that like, yeah, we can, we got to grind for this. And this is, you know, we got this end point, blah, blah, blah. But what if there is no end point in sight? It's kind of where we are right now. Mm-hmm. We're not, and the only end point in sight is death, bro, you know? And not to say, you're, you know, you're going to do triathlons. And I, know, mm-hmm. I know you love doing that stuff. But there's no game that we're going to be training for now. So it's like, how much work do you want to put in? How hard are you going to go when there's nothing to work for? And, you know, what David Goggins is saying is, like, you need to go even harder in those moments. And so he's a little too intense for me at times. You know, I'm, I'm definitely more of a go-with-the-flow type of guy and – you know, into, into spiritual stuff. And he's super hard edged. Um, but there's a lot of value in that in working your ass off, even though, you know, like there's nothing really going to come out of this except for just like my own development, my Mm -hmm. self improvement. Right. And that's gotta be enough Mm -hmm. for you, for you to actually live a life that is worthy, you know, of, of your time and effort, you got to work really fucking hard and, and dig deep and, and go for it in times of, of really like unknowingness. Right. I think that might be the word of mm-hmm. just like, you're looking at the unknown, like this podcast, dude. And I think this is a good example. Even your podcast. I have no idea where this is going to go. Mm-hmm. Like this is our first episode here. I really don't know how this studio is going to pan out, how this is going to evolve over time. Are we going to move studios? I don't know what's going to happen, but I do know in this very moment, I need to have this conversation with you. Mm-hmm. I need to record this. I need to put this out there because this is my purpose. I, I feel this internally. This is what I need to do. I'm not, I'm not working towards, I want 
you know, I want to, I want to be the next Joe Rogan or I want to be this, well, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, it'd be nice to have a bunch of followers and, you know, have a lot of make money off the podcast, but like, that's not what it's about. It's about having these conversations and doing the work every single day to make it the best possible product I possibly can. As long as I'm doing that, dude, I'm satisfied. Like, Mm -hmm. I, I don't care about these end results or these metrics or views, shares, whatever. Like, this is the outcome for me. This, this process, this sitting down and talking for two hours and making it feel like 20 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's what I'm doing it for. And I think that's, whether that's podcasting or whatever, like that's the important piece of it, the process. You got to go, you got to go towards the process and work towards the process rather than that, that end goal, that end destination. Right. hundred percent agree. hundred percent agree. Cause what happens after that, that's done. You exactly. know, if you want those same feelings, uh, you're just right back to it anyways. So there's never an end result. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, it's a good way to, to wrap this up, brother. I appreciate you coming on, man. Dude, thank you for having me. This is always a great time. We'll have to get you back in here. We'll, we'll try to do, like, more people, too. Try yeah. to get, like, Cal and some other people. That'll be fun. That that might be a little silly, too. That'll be a good time. So much fun. <laughs> That'll be so much fun. This this podcast setup is sick. Um, thank you for having me, dude. I'm excited to have you on mine always a good conversation i benefit so much from it and i hope uh i hope others do as well absolutely brother yeah i'll tag everything in the in the show notes and and whatnot so you can go check out anyone extraordinary by luke brown his first episode is up and live on spotify so make sure to go check that out and make sure to go follow him too because he's got good podcasts and give you some good episodes coming man I'm, i'm super excited to see where this goes man me too um i'm so proud of you for getting this going and doing everything you're doing keep doing it um love you brother love you too brother thank you all right guys thanks for listening peace peace